Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and this is your 75th video cast and 65th episode of our podcast for the week ending March 26th, 2021. A lot to cover this week, so we'll start out with the media spots as usual and cover the highlight topics and then we'll drill down into a lot of granularity this week. Uh, if you're watching, you may want to grab a pen and paper because we've got quite a bit to go through and it's going to be great stuff. So. Uh, let's get on with it. First, I'd like to thank Cheryl Cassoni, Liz Clayman, and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business on Tuesday. And um, the point we were going through was the general market, and I went through that on January 4th. I was on the show and put out my top four picks for 2021, which were Wells Fargo, ExxonMobil, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, Wraith, and Raytheon. All of them were up between 32 to 37%, with the exception of Raytheon, which was up about 12% year-to-date relative to the S&P at the time of the show, up about 4.8%. And I said that that was the good news. The bad news is I was uh, saying that uh, the reopening trades will, will certainly finish the year higher and they will take a leg higher, but they may be due for a breather in the short term. And we certainly saw that in the early part of this week. And there are a lot of interesting factors at play now going into quarter end rebalance uh, that we have to contend with, one of, one of which obviously is bonds are getting bid. And that's stabilized yields, which we, we anticipated in last week's podcast and note. And um, and what, what I said in that environment, as the rate of change slows, as the 10-year yield start, start, stops going up, as you get end of quarter rebalancing, which is basically pension funds and institutions uh, selling what's what's worked and then buying some of the things that haven't. You got a little bit of bid in bonds in the last week, uh, which surprised a lot of people. But for those of you who were with us last week, it didn't surprise you. And um, and I laid out the fact that when inflation break-evens, five-year break-evens got this high the last time was 2011, April 29th. They were at 245, we hit 258. The Fed started jawboning Operation Twist. They're not there yet, but if yields uh, persist higher, they will certainly control the long end of the curve. Uh, this week, we just got structural rebalancing and we got hedge funds were aggressively short, uh, as we covered last week, uh, short bonds. And, uh, and that unwound. And as always, the commercials were right. They've been buying bonds for the last few weeks. So the beneficiaries of the rate stabilization, I made the case, were big pharma, consumer staples, utilities. And with big pharma, I went through uh, Pfizer. Uh, earnings are up 49% over 2020. The estimates for 2021, it's trading at 10.5 times earnings or 10.7 times earnings. And it yields 4.3% while you wait. And Novartis at 13 and a half times versus the S&P 500 at 22 times, 3.7% yield uh, while you wait. And um, and that that's really the theme that we've been playing since February. Our article on February 24th, and then reemphasized our aggression into those positions uh, in the first uh, uh, article in May. I think it was May 1st or the first week of May. You can just look it up on the website. Uh, and by the way, all of our weekly articles, if you just scroll down, are under um, uh, 
commentary or under sentiment. So, uh, so that was that. And that was really the play. The, the pharma names were uh, Pfizer and Novartis. The staples were Kimberly Clark and uh, Campbell Soup. And the utilities, uh, American Electric Power and Dominion. We've been talking about those names for four weeks now. And they've really hockey-sticked up. So that's a good thing. And um, we're, we're moving forward there. Uh, moving so thanks again to Ellie Terrett, Cheryl Cassoni, and Liz Clayman. Moving along, I was on Cheddar the n- next day. Yep, with uh, Jill Wagner. Want to thank Jill Wagner and Allie Thompson and Taylor Gary for having me on the show. And in this sh- uh, segment, this was a-, a bit longer. We did cover a number of the. Uh, concepts that we covered on Liz's show. We also went through some of the reopening data, why we're positive. Uh, If you think about it, the contraction of GDP last year was 3.5%, which is about 750 billion. The response has been 12 times that, $5.3 trillion of fiscal stimulus now. That excludes the $3 trillion that's on its way, which will get through because uh, elections have consequences. And uh, the Democrats are going to get the, the, the next $3 trillion through, uh, plus $4 trillion of balance sheet expansion from the Fed. So you had a $9.3 trillion uh, response to a $750 billion problem. That's why we're going to see 7 to 9% plus GDP this year. That's why we're going to see somewhere between 25 to 30% earnings growth. And we're going to start to see a modest inflation uh, that um, that – in, in our view, will not be transitory, despite what uh, Jerome Powell um, is saying. And the reason we we believe that it won't be transitory is while velocity has been trending down along with rates for the last uh, effectively 40 years, uh, we believe with the baby boomers starting housing formation and all the other drivers with the stimulus, we do believe velocity is going to finally pick up and that is going to lead to a more sustained inflation moving forward, which in effect has to be part of the plan because one of the key ways to lower the debt to GDP ratio is to inflate it away and uh, uh, make your obligations less valuable that you have to um, worth less that you have to pay back. And I think that will be the trend in coming years. And we'll talk about some notes that uh, people have put out this week comparing it to the 60s and, and different generations and buying uh, inflation assets versus deflation assets. Deflation assets have outperformed uh, since the great financial crisis in a, in a crisis and before in a declining rate environment with a moderately rising rate environment that is going to switch and we'll see how to be positioned for that in the intermediate term. Um, so the question is, you know, uh, estimates conti- earnings estimates continue to go up. Uh, they're expected to be over $200 for 2022, $176 for 2021. And Jill asked a really smart question, which was, okay, I love all the optimism. What could go wrong or what keeps you up at night? And the thing that I pointed to that kept kept me up at night is the increase in taxes that's coming that the market is kind of ignoring at the moment. Uh, David Costin came out with a note this week. He anticipates that if they do get through the 21 to 28 percent, that should take 9 percent off of next year's earnings, which would be uh, take uh, 
take it down from 200 down to 182. Uh, I did make the caveat though, you know, with all the stimulus and with another 3 trillion, uh, 200 might be too low. So while you take 9% off, the question is, are you taking 9% off from 200 or are you taking 9% off from 220? Uh, and uh, and that, that's, that's really what remains to be seen. And I think, I think what we're going to find, as we have been for the last four months, as we anticipated, is that earnings have been much lower, uh, much better than expected. And I think that trend will persist uh, moving forward. So, yeah, taxes keep me up at night, but I think earnings estimates are too low right now, and and th that should offset a good portion of it moving forward. And then of course, the most important thing, you see travel picking up at 1.5 million travelers a day. You see vaccinations over 130 million. You see the seven day moving average of cases down below 50,000 and the seven day moving average of deaths down below 1,000. So uh, so that was a fun segment with, with Jill. We also covered um, uh, the GameStop earnings was a big thing this week. I'll go into that because I also covered it on CGTN. So thanks to Jill Wagner and Allie Thompson for having me on Cheddar. And then um, on uh, CGTN, I was on with Roe Ruttenberg, thanks to Camellia Kilowan. And that's where they wanted to talk a lot about GameStop. The story with GameStop was pretty simple. They missed on both the top and the bottom line. That was the bad news. Uh, the good news is their e-commerce sales were up 175%, representing 34% of sales versus 12% last year. So their e-commerce transformation is getting a little bit of traction. Their same store sales were up 6.5%. However, their gross margin was down 6%. Uh, they reduced their debt by $57 million. They sold the private jet, <laughs> uh, raised about $100 million of cash. And uh, what caused the stock to sell off was they said they're debating whether they want to sell uh, shares at the market, i.e. what was 180, that became 150 after they made that announcement. And uh, any rational person is wondering why they haven't done it much sooner. Uh, they should be selling stock hand over fist at these levels to fund the potential of any, any transaction. They closed 693 stores. They appointed a new COO, Jenna Jones, came from Amazon Distribution. They've got a new CTO, Matt Francis. Uh, so, you know, Ryan Cohen came over from Chewy. He bought 13% of the stock. He put a couple people on the board. He's attracting high quality people. So there's a good chance his transformation will happen. The question is how much of it is already priced in at 180. And I would say probably about 200% worth of the transformation is priced in at $180 uh, or wherever it is now, wherever it closed uh, $160. The other issue that I shared with... Uh, Roe and Jill as well on, on Cheddar was that, uh, you know, any other company, if they replaced the CFO, they offered, they suspended guidance and they took no questions from analysts, the stock would absolutely crater. Uh, so uh, absent the Wall Street bet Redditors, I think this thing would have been down 50% uh, after hours with, with that kind of behavior. But leaving that aside, uh, this is not a, a stock that trades on fundamentals in the short term. It's a stock that trades on structural issues and, and a lot of hope. The consensus price target on the street is about 15 bucks. The optimists are at 30 to 40, and the ones that really buy the plan are at 80 to 90, which which could make sense. And I certainly wouldn't bet against Ryan Cohen or the people he's brought on board, but it is going to be a tough slog. And um, 
you know, that that's where it is. And, and it's not all blue skies. They've got competition from Netflix style subscriptions. Apple's got Arcade at $5 a month. Google's got Stadia at $10 a month. You can play games all day long. You got free games like Fortnite and Apex Legends and Roblox to an extent, although my kids keep asking me for Roblox or whatever the hell they're called. All I know is I keep seeing these charges and my wife uh, says that they did good on their schoolwork so i say all right whatever so um so that's the story uh with uh with gamestop and everything else so thanks to roe and to camellia and then also on that day i was on td ameritrade network where we talked a lot about the reopening trade and my, my theme has been positive rate my theme has been consistent rates have stabilized the beneficiaries are going to be those groups that sold off in the last two months uh, in, in the previous two months when rates were rising from 100 basis points to 175 basis points in four weeks. Uh, and the, the, the sectors that sold off uh, were utilities that were focused on utilities, big pharma and consumer staples. And we've been focused on those since the end of February. Uh, also, some pockets of tech should get a bounce on that. And what we have to do is get through the end of the quarter to see what things really look like because there's there's odd rebalancing and structural. There was um, talk today. There were a lot of headlines coming across the wire of huge blocks of like, you know, the high momentum tech stocks. There was rumor that there was a forced liquidation some from some major fund then it was some major asian fund who the hell knows but they were selling a lot of high momentum stocks today that bottomed out around 2:30 when margin calls were up and then the market absolutely rip roared into the close the s&p closed up about one and a half percent for the week the dow up, up one uh 1.36 and the nasdaq was down at over almost uh, 60 basis points for the week. So they're still selling pressure in tech. Um, but I do think there will be pockets that will benefit as we move into the new quarter that could get a bounce. Uh, uh, but again, where we're going to be focused is um, or, or holding is uh, utilities, uh, big pharma, and uh, consumer staples. Um, the other thing that I covered with uh, Nicole Petalides. Again, thank you, Nicole, for having me on, as well as Declan Murphy, the producer uh, over at TD Ameritrade Network, is they wanted to talk about casinos in the context of the reopening trade. And obviously, there's pent up demand and everything looks good. The question is, uh, how much is priced in? And I think in the case of casinos, uh, quite a bit is already priced in in the short term. I'd certainly be a buyer on a, any major pullback, but I wouldn't get aggressive up at these levels. Uh, in Q4, Las Vegas Sands Q4 revenue was down 70%. Win was down 58.5. MGM was down 53, and Penn was down 23. Uh, that obviously is going to change in Q1. We'll see in earnings. It'll probably go from, you know, at, in aggregate 70% down in Q4 to 20% uh, down in Q1. But you know, keep in mind these things are trading. Some of them are trading at new highs or near new highs, and they're still not fully recovered. You're seeing a lot of animal spirits in the private market. Apollo bought Venetian for 6.25 billion. That's the the uh, uh, Las Vegas resort. Uh, Blackstone bought bought uh, Crown Resorts this month. It's an Australian casino for 6.2 billion. Blackstone and Starwood bought. Um, uh, extended stay for six billion, or attempted to. Hilton Grand Vacations bought Diamond Resorts for 1.4. Dreamscape is a fund that's looking to put a billion dollars into business travel hotels. 
Uh, and uh, billionaire Stuart Miller's family office bought the Viceroy Le Hermitage in Beverly Hills. It was uh, it's uh, vacant to, due to the uh, Malaysian scandal. I guess that they were the owners. He bought it for a hundred million. So you know, smart money is moving in. The problem is, I actually looked at hotels in uh, in the oil patch, eighty room, you know, big flag hotels, looking for some distress. And it's it's you know, candidly, because. You know, I've looked at real estate all over the country. You want to own inflation assets moving forward, but there's not real distress. Oddly enough, even though the top lines were down, you know, in most cases, uh, 30 to 50 percent plus on most of these properties, uh, the market is looking through it and maybe rationally looking through it. But, you know, you would expect some type of um, distressed pricing. And particularly those that have sensitivity to the oil patch, which I actually want exposure. We bought a ton of energy stocks early la uh, last year, you know, April, May timeframe. And, uh, and they've just run up huge on forward expectations. But, you know, in some of these regions of the oil patch, the rig count's still down 90%. Uh, and that's that's simply just not not really reflected in the prices of these these uh, leisure assets at all. So maybe it's like 2008 where the best deals weren't in 2009; they were in 2011 when people realized they were never going to get 2007 prices again, um, which is what they thought in 2009. Or, or maybe there's just way too much liquidity and banks never were forced to take the marks uh, on their books for the for the assets, so there's no incentive to foreclose because they don't want to take the marks and as such the, the these assets will have plenty of breathing room to till they recover with the exception of you know the minority that are negative cash flowing that might have to um, that might have to, to dump if they're over leveraged but there seems to be enough money in the market uh, that's willing to pay a reasonable uh, well what is a relatively low cap rate for some of these assets so you know if anyone else knows of any real estate assets uh, or class that has any distress uh, send me an email but uh, I, I've had an awful tough time finding it uh, you know and um, and it's getting harder and harder to find it in the market. Although last year was Christmas, uh, this year we have to be much more surgical to to find these pockets, uh, like we're going to talk about in this call. So thank you to Nicole Petalides and Declan Murphy for having me on TD Ameritrade Network. Uh, and then uh, on Monday, want to thank Medicine and Devic Jane for including me in their Reuters article. Uh, my point was pockets of tech will get a bid moving forward if yields moderate, and that'll probably be part of the theme for the next couple of months. And I also included in that um, utilities, consumer staples, and uh, big pharma, which it, it didn't get into the article, but that, that's been the core of my theme with uh, certain pockets of tech being the minority of my theme and focus, uh, very little of my focus, actually. And... Um, and then Herb Lash also included me in his article on Reuters. Want to thank Herb for, for reaching out. And my quote there was, was more comprehensive. He said, uh, I said, it's going to look like tech and growth is back, but I think it will be much more moderate than people think. There's a plethora of growth, growth across many sectors, and we've seen managers bidding those shares up in cyclicals in value, I think that persists over the next 18 months. So, uh, so that that's really the theme. The theme is, you know, you had a huge run up 
in energy and financials from uh, from the election. They took a short-term breather here in the last week or so. Now they seem like they want to want to go straight back up to new highs. We'll see. I'm agnostic whether they do or they don't, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if the reopening trade takes uh, takes a little bit of breather just because it was so, so, so pessimistic when we were buying, and now everyone seems to be singing from the same hymnal, and that just kind of tells me that a lot of late money has gotten in, a lot of uh, people buying breakouts, and that's usually when they just, you know, knock the stuffing out of the late money, uh, shake them out, and then the strong hands uh, stay stay around until, until it... Um, uh, till, till it continues to, a new leg higher, which we anticipate before the end of the year. Uh, here's, here's one of the headlines um, from MarketWatch. Value stocks are so in, in favor, they've become momentum stocks. And the momentum buyers love to buy breakouts uh, when, it, when uh, much of the gain is priced in. So, you know, I think they, these certain, I think these, look, I think it's an unbelievable opportunity to buy if you have a three to five year horizon. I think that if you look out over six months, um, you know, it, it might have to consolidate some of these gains. I mean, these stocks are up 75, 100, 125, 150 percent. So, yeah, if they can go straight up to 200 percent, I'm all game. I mean, we're holders, but we're, we're the new money that we put to work this month was in late February and early March was aggressive in um uh, the, the the groups that sold off uh, when rates were rocketing in February and the utilities, big pharma and um, and uh, staples. Okay, so Joe Biden wants to raise taxes. What it would mean for the stock market? We covered that nine percent to the S and P. The question is if two hundred is right. I think the the real number is more like two twenty. So if you knock nine percent off that, you're back to two hundred, and uh, and the multiple is not crazy considering where rates are. This was the uh, Marco Kolonovic's article from uh, JP Morgan saying that the S&P still has 12% upside with spiking yields set to stabilize amid uh, strong earnings. I agree with that. And we've been talking since the beginning of the year about a mid-teens year. So the S&P is up whatever it is, 4.5% for the year. Another 12% would be 165 That is right in line with what we've been talking about mid-teens since day one of, of 2021. And Ryan Dietrich actually put out a chart this week from uh, LPL and FactSet. And he basically said, um, S&P index performance following 30% bear market bottom. So we had the bottom last year. We're up 74.9%. What happens next? It's happened. Um, so he's got a sample here of one, two, three, four, five, six other instances going all the way back to um, 1970. And the average... After you have a 30% plus the first year, the average second year return is 16.9%, which is also confirmatory of, uh, which also confirms what we've been talking about mid-teens and what Marco's talking about, 4. We're, we're up 4.5, he's talking about another 12, that's 16.5, that's right in the same ballpark. I think that's a good way to look at it. 
Uh, how we get there will not be a straight path uh, likely, but we have held on the S&P basis. If you remember in January when everyone was waiting for the 20% February pullback, or uh, well, first they were waiting in November, and uh, anyway, the point is that uh, the S&P hasn't pulled back more than 3%, and we said we expected you know five or six of those 3% pullbacks this year, and we've gotten them. Certainly the NASDAQ has been... Uh, um, uh, monkey hammered, uh, no question about it. That's not where we play, so that doesn't really matter to us. Uh, it's not where we've been focused. And um, although some of these things may get cheap enough that we may put some money to work uh, there as well. well, we'll take it as it comes. This was just an article, one of our top picks, uh, how CVS and Walgreens helped Biden get to 200 million COVID-19 shots. They've been playing a major role of late. We talked about that last year. And then uh, here was an article in Market Watch from uh, Steve Goldstein, and he posts one of uh, Jurian Timmer's uh, charts from Fidelity Investments. He says that fiscal and monetary policy will remain at full throttle for some time to come. Uh, he was saying that 1960s provide a blueprint for what's to come in the stock market, and here's his chart. So he shows those instances of... Um, uh, kind of inflationary periods and, and the assets that you want to own and how we're tracking. And this basically shows we've got another 10 years to run. He compares it to post-World War II, which we've talked a lot about last year from, uh, you know, when debt to GDP got to 120%, which is right around where, where we are. Uh, and then it was dropped to 66%, partially through inflation, partially through growth within a handful of years. I think we could see a similar re rerun if we don't overdo it. That would be good. And then the same thing from 1982 to, to 2000 type of, type of uh, uh, analogs. And I think that's a reasonable way to look at things. I, I think we're, we're kind of in the middle of a, of a secular bull. And most people don't understand that because if you're below 45 years old, you haven't seen a secular bull market. You've only seen things get going and then you crash. Things get going and then you crash. And that's not the normal, that's the exception. The last time we saw that was in the 70s uh, and we just experienced it from 2000 to 2013. But to, from 2013 forward, we're seven, eight years in and uh, another 10 years uh, is, is very, very reasonable in a sec secular bull, like 49 to 68, like 82 to 2000 and I think like uh, 2013 to uh, you know what could be past 2030 uh, so what do you want to own in that type of environment so uh, they're basically uh, if you look back where inflation assets outperformed in, in inflationary environments uh, and inflation assets outperformed by 15% or more uh, relative to deflation assets, which uh, this is a chart from Bank of America that I just pulled up here. Uh, this shows that in the since effectively since 2000, this spread has been unnaturally wide, where deflationary assets, i.e., growth uh, stocks that perform in a slow-growing environment, uh, momentum stocks, high multiple stocks. Uh, high, you know, um, price to sales ratio stocks, they've outperformed because rates are going down, growth was slow. Now with millennials at 30 years old, housing formation, we're going to move back into periods where inflation assets outperform. And those periods where they did was 
1941, you had the uh, end of big government spending from the New Deal. Inflation ramped up double digits in 1942. You had a 15% outperforming of inflation assets. What are inflation assets? Well, Bank of America defines it in this note as um, commodities, real estate, tips, that's treasury inflation pre protected securities, uh, European assets, U.S. banks, value, and cash. I disagree with the cash uh, point of view. That makes not much sense in my view. Um, and then deflation assets, which have outperformed, is long bonds, investment grade, S&P 500, which has been tech-weighted, consumer uh, discretionary growth, and uh, high-yield bonds, and, and um, investment-grade bonds. So... Um, so yeah, I, I love this story, commodities, I love real estate, I love tips, I love banks. I mean, this is how we're positioned uh, and certainly value. Um, and this widespread, so you had, you know, post the New Deal where you got the inflationary environment, you had 1973, and, and, that, and I've talked about that in a lot of podcasts where, you know, the Gabellis, the Lee Coopermans, the Warren Buffetts, um, that whole ilk, uh, the, the Carl icons, they made their fortunes in the 70s while the market, uh, you know, was in a in a an inflationary environment because that's where you, as a stock picker and as a value tilt, outperform and you can outperform, you know, um, by 15 points or more. First period was uh, was after the New Deal. Second period was the 70s, and um, and then the bursting of the dot-com bubble from 2000, if you remember from 2003 to 2007, the commodities and, and real estate super cycle effectively. So I think we're, we're in those type of period. We'll be surgical in the short-term moves, but the secular moves, certainly energy, certainly banks, uh, commodities, uh, real estate exposure, and, and those type of assets are, are going to be great benefit and value stocks and, and stock picking. So, so this is a really, really good environment for what we do. And, um, and that's that. So moving ahead, uh, Amazon faces growing worker pressure in the shadow of Alabama union vote. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's interesting. We covered it briefly last week. You got to eat your own cooking. I mean, you know, the, the, um, Jeff Bezos owns the Post. They are a hundred percent progressive paper that supports this type of movement and unionization. I think he should eat his own cooking. I think there shouldn't be a vote if they want to unionize. Let them unionize. That is that is uh, part of the the philosophy, and you have to walk your talk. If that's what you stand for, that's what you got to deliver on. So I wish the workers good luck in this instance because. Uh, that is the purported culture, and uh, and the action should match the talk. Um, okay, Apple we've talked about from you know perfect earnings the end of January. It's been down basically every week ever since. Uh, I think this persists. We covered it last week with you know what are the catalysts for the next leg higher. I think this one is going to be source of funds, and I think it's going to just drift down. Uh, not anything catastrophic and I think there will be an unbelievable opportunity to buy it at some point this year uh, for the long term I just don't think it's right now in my view uh, but uh, this is something that we we pointed out early and it's it's persisted in that trend um, this is a note from uh, zero hedge consumer spending explodes driven by vaccine recipients millennials splurging on airlines restaurants etc 
so after the awful February, February retail sales report, that's in the rear view mirror, they're talking about Bank of America has the credit card data and spending for the week ending March 13th showed a 7.4% one year change and 8.9% two year change for the seven days ending March 13th. Both numbers confirming a st substantial rebound from February spending freeze. So that's a good thing to see. You can just see it hockey sticking up, department stores, uh, Chase Consumer Card Spending Tracker. Um, so, you know, the consumer's back and they're going to just be back like you can't believe uh, with all the stimulus and, and uh, different checks and things going out and that type of thing. Uh, confirming the inflation thesis, Powell says now is not the time to focus on reducing federal debt. It's all you need to know. There's two ways to pay it back. Taxing, that only goes so far. That's coming. And inflating it away. And uh, they're, they're going to make up the bulk of it in, in uh, part two, which is inflating it away. Uh, this is great news. Merck's little brown p pill that could transform the fight against COVID. This will be a game changer. It's looking like it's tracking to the fall. Maybe we'll have a pill you could take. Certainly, they want to get everyone vaccinated first. That makes perfect sense. But uh, those people who wind up getting it, if you could take a pill and it goes away, that would be game changing and that would be the end of uh, that would be the end of COVID and the end of any type of restrictions. Um, my sense is there's no way this this will be approved before at least 70% of the population is vaccinated first, but um, it's something to look forward to. And Pfizer has one in the works, but not quite as far along. Um, this is a note from Jacob Sonenshine at Barron's. Earnings forecasts are low, what that means for stocks. Uh, couldn't agree more here. And he's basically saying that um, analysts have been racing to revise earnings estimates upward of late, but those projections could easily still be too low. That could be more upside for stocks, even though the market has been hot recently. Uh, did, did earnings estimates for the S&P have been revised higher by 8% in the last six months, according to FactSet. Uh, COVID vaccines have found arms at a fast pace, enabling states to reopen, which has met been met with pent-up demand resulting from trillions of dollars of fiscal stimulus given that revisions upward may now be less frequent um etc 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 so he goes on and he basically makes the case that the market's reasonably priced because the the uh estimates could could continue to go up materially and we agree uh banks were up today because the fed lift the curbs on bank share buybacks and dividends so come june 30th uh, it'll end the limits it introduced in the earlier months of the pandemic. That was something we anticipated. It came sooner than expected. That's great news as uh, Wells Fargo is our biggest holding by far at a 25 basis or depending on the uh, on the portfolio, but uh, 25 or less. And, uh, and we think that's got a tremendous amount of room to run over the next few years. And that's in line with this open jaw reversing and inflation assets starting to outperform deflation assets uh, over time. I'm not an apocalyptic, you know, get in the bunker, buy all the gold you can kind of person. I just want to be in those uh, sectors that are going to do relatively better. doesn't mean tech is going to fail. doesn't mean no Momo stocks will work. It just means relative outperformance moving forward in our view. Secularly, in the short term, because those trades have have done so well in the last four months and everyone's all excited about them now and we're getting all these articles. Of course, this is what's happening after everything's up 100%. Again, I, you know, 
Odds are they take the stuffing out of the Johnny-come-latelys. We get uh, a rest in those. But, you know, if we don't, God bless. I'd be happy to make the money sooner than later, but I, I don't, I'm not holding my breath on that. I'm focusing on what, what we can win at right now and holding those for, for the end of the year. Um, quote of the day, you can't reach success in investment if you do not think independently. Uh, that's just been our knitting since day one. For those of you who've been with me for some time, you know we were pounding the table on banks, energy, and defense and aerospace last year when no one wanted them. You couldn't give them away and um, made the joke many times when Wall Street, you know, Wall Street's the only place when they hold a clearance sale, no one shows up. Uh, and the same thing was happening three weeks ago with uh, utilities, uh, consumer staples, and pharma. So we're going to look at those, but just look at the move in banks, you know, uh, Bank of America, you know, all-time high, uh, new highs here. But many of these are just getting started. So City hasn't made new highs yet. And, uh, and I think the, the earnings power on these is going to go back to uh, above 2019 uh, pre-pandemic levels much sooner with the curve steepening so quickly and the demand and housing and millennials and all this stuff. So, um, you know, this is one group that uh, I don't know that it's all priced in yet. So uh, JP, JP Morgan, new, new highs. Uh, and, and Wells Fargo, although it's up almost 100% off the bottom, I mean, this thing, in my view, just has so much more to run over the next few years. And um, Charlie Scharf is, is doing a great job. They'll lift the asset cap probably sometime this year. And uh, and the floodgates will ride, ride open. But, you know, keep in mind, it was trading, you know, up to basically 50 between 55 and 60 dollars with the asset cap so that you know there, there's room to run before that happens and when that comes off that that could be even the next like higher beyond that so uh so exciting opportunities there uh but as you can see when you look longer term it's like there's still great opportunity in the market you just have to look a little more carefully it's not like last year where you could throw a dart at the board and everything wins uh, these are the defense and aerospace again. So Lockheed Martin's just getting bid. Uh, finally, we talked about it the last few weeks that of banks, energy and defense, there were still some opportunities in defense and aerospace. We pointed to Northrop and Lockheed and now they're starting to rip. So, uh, but they're just getting going in our view. I think that's an opportunity. Look at Boeing, you know, it's had a huge run, but I mean, come on, it's a duopoly over time. This thing is going to make new highs. It's not going to be tomorrow, but uh, we like this group. Raytheon, same story. So these are good things. And this week, Northrop and Lockheed win missile defense contracts valued at up to $7.6 billion. This game is just beginning. The geopolitical situation is getting worse. You're hearing this stupid, uh, well, just never mind. It's just different points of view on um, how we're relating to people around the world. So now North Korea is our biggest threat once again. And if you recall, Five years ago, there, we were like right at the edge of war with North Korea. And uh, I you know, pray we don't move in that direction. But what happens when you have that type of saber rattling? And, and uh, Kim is uh, you know, testing the new administration. He fired some missiles this week. Um, while it isn't covered, this stuff is happening and it's going to be noticed and, and, uh, and people are going to draw attention to whether the defense budget stays flat or not. Our thesis is commercial aviation recovering, being better than expected the second half. But uh, it's going to draw attention to to the abnormal, relative, re relatively low multiples. And, uh, and these stocks are going to get bid as people just clamor to find anywhere they can get value that hasn't moved up 100% yet. Um, 
Energy, same story. Uh, while they've had huge moves, I mean, some of these things are just getting going. Occidental, uh, Schlumberger, the best services company. I mean, you, you talking, wait, this administration's trying to shut down fossil fuels. Well, yeah, but, you know, they're only going to help them because they're going to restrict production, which is going to drive the price up. The one, the big players that are remain standing are going to make money hand over fist. The small ones are toast already. And um, uh, you're going to need way more than you could possibly imagine. Aviation, obviously, but uh, even to do the transition, which is going to take 20 to 30 years, you're going to need so much fossil fuels just to mine the stuff you need to make the renewables and everything else. So, so these bad boys, uh, there are many of them that are just getting started as well. Um, you know, Exxon's nowhere near getting back to, to where it can be moving forward with the, with the demand coming forward and inflation and all the things, you know, Diamondback, they're, they're just, you know, when you step back and you look at a monthly chart, you know, while looking at a daily chart, you say, I missed it. Looking at a monthly, you're like, no, these things are actually just getting started. Um, and, and that's the, even, even a Chevron, a high quality one, it's, it's got room A Royal Dutch shell. Uh, BP. I mean, these things are opportunities. A Kinder Morgan, uh, energy transfer. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's exciting times. What can I say? So, uh, moving forward, um, now we're back to dailies because we we want to talk about the ideas that we put out at the end of February, early March, which were. This is utilities. So you can see some of these are already up 20% in the last three weeks. PCG, uh, our two favorites were Dominion. Uh, it's gone from 68 to 75, so about 10% in three weeks. Uh, and then where's the American Electric Power has gone from uh, 74, 75 up to 85, so that's up almost 20% in three weeks. Um, and we think these actually have more room, Con Edison. I mean, these things are just ripping off of that, which is pretty exciting to see. Uh, and you know, you just see that they're straight line up now that, by the way, that's interesting. That's a daily chart. So you think you missed it. Now let's take a look at the weekly chart so you can see, oh wait, maybe these do have room to run. They've done nothing since last year. They're one of the last pockets of value left. They have a dividend yield twice the 10 year yield, which is what we've talked about on every one of our segments. Look at Dominion. You know, it's just getting started. Look at, uh, American electric power. I mean, it's peak pre pandemic peak was $105. It's at 80. This thing has room. In our view, the, the, this is a pocket of value that's untapped. If you feel like you missed it, there's still opportunities in the market is our view. Again, this is, you know, consult with your financial advisor. I only uh, am set up to deal with accredited investors, but click on terms. Uh, this is opinion, not advice. But these are the things that we look at. All we're telling, sharing with you is is what we're doing and what we're looking at. And you you make your own choice what's right for you. Maybe this is, by the way, you know, people always ask me, what I'm interested in the stock market, what should I do? And I always say, read The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Either the light bulb turns on and, and this will be what you want to do for the rest of your life, or it doesn't. And you should just go build a business or do something else. You, there are tons of ways to make money in life. Um, but you know, you have to find, you got to, I was listening actually to the Ray Dalio interview with, um, Andy Serwer, uh, this week, they did a great interview and, and Dalio was talking about like, you got to know your nature and then find something that fits. And that's why I always give that book. It's a, like a litmus test. And I guess if you're like a momentum type of growth investor, you, you would buy the book called, um, how to make money in stocks by O'Neill. 
And then if you're a value person, you would buy um, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham and read both of those books. If neither of them gets you excited, then just get out of the game. It, it, it's, there's so many other ways to make money. Look at real estate, look at you know starting a tech company, whatever. Whatever resonates with your personality. But if, you know, if the, the O'Neill book resonates, then you'll be looking for the high multiple, high growers, higher risk, higher reward type of thing. If you uh, are more of, um, you like finding diamonds in the rough and you like buying things when they're marked down at a discount, buying quality goods, not crap goods, uh, then, uh, then the intelligent investor will change your life. I mean, that's Warren Buffett's favorite book. And that's a great way to just know, should you invest more time? You know, you only get so many hours in your life and so many weeks and months and years uh, you know, don't waste your time if it doesn't resonate. But if it does, it's it's the most exciting game in the world, in my view. Um, okay, so uh, so that's energy. What else do we have here? We have oh utilities. We just did longer dated. All right, now this is some staples again. Same thing. End of March, early May, April. Uh, Campbell soup is one of our favorites. That thing is hockey stick from 45 to 50. So that's 10% in a few weeks. General Mills, 54 to 62. Now it's headed back up to 62. So whatever, 13%, 14%. Kellogg has gone from 57 to 63. So these things are starting to rip. But again, oh, and let's take a look at packaged foods and also household and personal products. Um... Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark we talked about on, uh, I think, Fox uh, this week. Uh, so that's gone from 128 to 137. Uh, Clorox is, hasn't even, it's just getting going. It's up $10 from 180 to 190. Uh, and again, if you think you missed these, just step back, look at a weekly chart, and you can see Clorox just getting going. Colgate Palmolive had a big week, but it's just getting moving. Kimberly Clark again. These are these all sold off so big, uh, and and now they're they're getting going. Pro- Procter and Gamble, uh, moving back to the packaged foods. Let's see how they look on a weekly basis. Campbell Soup, General Mills. I mean, they, they've had big moves in the last three weeks, as we anticipated. But you know, you look at a Kellogg. These things have have room if you have a little patience, and you like value. This this these are the things that we're looking at. And then Big Pharma. So these have been the laggard. This is where we've any weakness we've been adding in the last three weeks, but they're they're moving. I mean, Pfizer's up from thirty what thirty three fifty to thirty six twenty five. So about ten percent yields four and a half percent, and it looks like it's breaking out. This 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 is a daily chart. So uh, today it had a good day. Um, GlaxoSmithKline, even AstraZeneca, with all the headlines, it's starting to move up from forty. 7 to what 50 51 um uh and then let's see are there others uh drug manufacturers and then you can just step back and look on a weekly basis you see some things like gilead that are just beat down GlaxoSmithKline, astrazeneca merck we've talked about um pfizer again we think and by the way pfizer well we'll talk about that in a second uh, Novartis, we, you know, Pfizer and Novartis are probably our big, biggest two focused right now. Um, 
and we've been buying aggressively since since the beginning of March. Uh, Pfizer will test a pill to kill the COVID-19 virus. They've started phase one trial of a pill that could foil the COVID-19 virus. The company said on Tuesday, this experimental drug inhibits enzymes essential to the replication of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Many successful antiviral drugs against HIV and hepatitis C work the same way. If clinical trials prove the Pfizer antiviral safe and effective, the pill could be given at the first sign of infection said the company's chief scientific officer, Mikhail, in the announcement. So that's pretty exciting, and that'll be a higher margin product than the vaccine, although they're good, after everyone gets their first uh, round, they're going to be able to increase the price from 30 bucks to a, they, they've set on a conference call, maybe as high as 170 bucks is their plan. That's the bad news for uh, you know being a normal uh, person. It's a good news if you own part of the company. Um, these are some things I just wanted to put together. A few of these charts, uh, indicators I look at for the general market, just to give us an idea where we are. It, it's got to feel like a little bit of no man's land because we're just kind of trending higher, you know, no more than 3% pullbacks. Uh, this is the NYSE 10% volume index. So, you know, usually these are near bottomish ranges when it spikes down like this. You get a bounce in the market. Maybe we saw that starting today. Same thing with this uh, NASDAQ 1% uh, exponential moving average of advanced decline ratio. Uh, could it go lower? Sure, it could go lower. But do you often get bounces around these levels? Yeah. Again, this is not a scalpel. This is a crayon. These are barometers. They're not uh, crystal balls. But it just gives you a feel for where we are. Same thing with this, the, the NASDAQ declining issues tricks. Uh, it's Look, it's closer to the top than to the bottom, closer to where the market bottoms than to where it tops. So, you know, it's elevated. Like I said, there, there may be some pockets in tech that also start to get a bid in coming weeks. Um, what else? This is another one, the NASDAQ up, down, on bottom on balance volume oscillator again closer to the bottom than the top this is usually where you get a bounce and i think we could start to see that uh not dissimilar to this uh burke high lows again closer to the bottom than the top it doesn't mean it's the exact day it doesn't mean it can't go lower it just means your odds start to favor getting some exposure uh if you're selective about it uh, what else? Healthcare stocks. This is what we talked about in early March. It was down here. They're starting to get up. Now you got 80% over the 20-day exponential moving average. There's more room to run. I think certainly a lot more to room to run in the big pharma. Uh, what else here? NASDAQ, intermediate term volume momentum oscillator. Again, it's coming off these type of bottom ranges where you get bounces. Um, National Association of Active Investment Managers, which we talk about every week, they rolled back over this week, of course, as the market rips higher into the close today. So now they'll have to chase up into the end of the quarter as they got whipsawed. Uh, PMO buy all is closer to the bottom again um, than to the top. It's just a risk reward probability that you have in your head. These aren't perfectly pinned at the bottom where you want to load the truck, but it, it is at these are at levels where you want to be getting some selective exposure in areas that make sense, many of which we've already covered on the call so far. Uh, what else do we have here? This is the Dow Swenlin trading oscillator for the Dow. So again, you know, these levels, you tend to get bounces. Um, and what else do we have here? Uh, the McClellan oscillator is coming off a low, so that could be positive. Um, the NASDAQ McClellan is getting closer to a level where you normally see bounces, not quite there yet. 
And let's just see if there are any other key ones that I look at. Um, again, another oscillator coming off the bottom. And what's this one? This is the skew index. This one is, you know, this one is a little bit, um, this one's a little bit bothersome. Unfortunately, the, the view on this one only goes back, uh, actually I'll pull it up and take it back a little longer. In these instances, you can see when it's elevated, this is the cost of out of the money tail risk option pricing. So VIX is basically the pricing of at the money uh, S&P protection. Uh, the skew is when you're pricing out of the money, when you're, when you're betting, you're trying to insure against tail risk. And we're still at levels where a lot of people are buying that insurance and the price is elevated. And that often precedes uh, you know, drawdowns in the market. There are exceptions, and the exception, uh, by the way, this is the bond to stock. We'll, we'll go back to skew in a second. This is the bond to stock ratio. It's actually been on a tear since April, which is why we thought it would reverse this, you know, or at least slow down this week, which it has. So I wouldn't rule bonds out entirely. Obviously, the cyclical trade over the next 18 months is obviously bonds probably weaker but i think in the short term they, they could hold here and and maintain the bid that they got this week for for some time uh vix is trending down that's generally a sign of health but let's just take a look back at this skew because if you if you just look at the skew over the last three years when it was at these levels and it starts to roll over it's really not a good thing for the market but if we use the analog that we've been talking about which was like um after the 2016 election, this was interesting. It got elevated, and it, as it came down, the market was still rising. That's more the exception than the rule, um, but I think there are a lot of similarities. If you were with us in the fourth quarter, uh, third and fourth quarter, when, running up to the election, we were pointing out the similarities to the 2016 setup, and uh, we really benefited from that analog. Uh, similar thing happened uh, in 2013 into 14. You had this elevated. People were buying a ton of tail risk as it came down. The market still kept going up anyway. Uh, and that's often coming out of these real dislocated periods like you had in 2011, like you had in 2016, and like you had in 2020. So I think this elevation could be backward-looking fear and uh, we might get a, a 2016 pass or a 2013 pass where the skew came down and, and it didn't collapse the market. In effect, the market could, could power through that because people were just too scared because of recency bias. And I think that would make a lot of sense. So that's just a little clarification on that. Uh, this week, we did the Bruno Mars leave the door open stock market and sentiment results. Uh, this, the the uh, lyrics were the same as the title. I thought this song was amazing. I haven't heard it, I guess, because I'm always listening to country music. But um, I thought it was great. I think Bruno Mars is great. And um, the point was we laid out that, you know, bonds would get a bid. Uh, the reopening trade, which has been parabolic since the election, would, would, would slow in the short term. But we'd leave the door open, baby, and rekindle our love <laughs> at a later date. And, and the point was we're holding the energy, we're holding the banks, we're holding the defense and aerospace, and they'll make new highs before the end of the year, we strongly believe. Um, but in the short term, our focus was on um, utilities, big pharma, and staples. And we went through all the 
the um, shows. This is a very important chart because if you do get the increased corporate tax rate, this is from Goldman Sachs, the sectors that are going to be hit the, in, in the most material way are communication services and infotech and parts of healthcare as well. So uh, staples will be hit less, financials will be barely hit, impact of, of tax reform, and it just goes same with industrial, same with energy, because they haven't earned anything for a while. So, um, and they've got lost carry forwards. So this is very interesting if, uh, and, and, and the NASDAQ may be starting to sniff this out and price this in, which is why there's been so much pressure on the NASDAQ slash communication services, uh, because they will be most dramatically hit from the tax increase. Uh, so keep an eye on that, and that's where you want to steer clear. As far as the drug companies, they're so cheap. I mean, trading at 10 to 13 times relative to the S&P 500, I think a lot of that already is priced in. I think you get paid to wait. I think there's huge opportunity and some catalysts on the horizon that no one's paying attention to because everyone's thinking COVID. But believe it or not, these other they have other monopoly uh, uh, drugs in different uh, groups that people will start to worry about the rest of their health after COVID's over. And with these numbers, with the vaccinations going parabolic and um, the cases plummeting and the deaths plummeting like we saw in Israel uh, in recent weeks, uh, it, it, the future looks bright moving forward. These are the charts we already covered about the uh, Fed balance sheet uh, M2 money supply up 27% since last February, the fiscal stimulus. This is velocity. That's what happens in a deflationary environment. Our, our, our bet is that, uh, this is, this is going to change in a modestly rising inflation, modestly rising rate environment on a secular basis because demand for capital will go up because there's growth because you have 72 million millennials housing formation starting their lives buying furniture starting kids etc 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 this will pick up spending will pick up and velocity will pick up uh, this shows the trajectory of earnings we talked about estimates are probably too low uh, this shows uh, the bond bid since uh, the article last week when we were pounding the table for it uh, gave it a little bit back today, but not much. I, I think in the short term, it's going to hold this. And the key is that it stopped doing this. That, that's the most important. Even if it did this for the for some time, that's perfectly fine. Inflation break-evens we talked about. This was the chart from last week when we were saying we thought bonds would turn. Commercials have been buying. Hedge funds were crowded over, over the top uh, short. And now that's reversing, and that's a good thing. Um, retail is, is still euphoric, 50% bullish. Um, the fear and greed, when I wrote this two days ago, was at 40. I don't know what it closed at today, probably 50. It's kind of neutral. And then we did the updated National Association of Active Investment Managers. They dumped out on the weakness earlier this week. Now they'll have to catch up. Uh, unusual options activity. Someone bought 17,200 contracts of the uh, June 39 call options in Pfizer. That is not uh your grandma with that size that is some serious institutional purchasing uh we were happy to see that and um um you know that 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 was a huge huge block uh we did energy sector earnings by the way if you're on the podcast and you get cut off the last few minutes just go to hedgefundtips.com uh, and click on the video cast, fast forward to minute 60, and you'll be able to pick up word for word and get the last few minutes or see any of the charts that you missed and any of the stocks that I've talked about that you may want to take a look at what I was referencing. You can just, you know, 
toggle forward and backward and see the images that you want to pull up and go right to the point that that uh, you want to see the visuals for. Um, energy earnings and estimates, um, they are up the top uh, top 23 stocks weighting of the sector ETF. The estimates were revised up 55.63% in the past 60 days, albeit off a low base, but still more material than any other sector. And the prices are starting to reflect that. But again, when you take a step back as we walked you through those longer weekly and monthly charts, some of these are just getting started. Um, okay. Uh, economic data for this week, um, existing home sales were a little weaker. Remember, we had a lot of um, the weather in, you know, the whole problem in Texas with the weather. So, you know, the just like we got the end of month rebalancing that's kind of skewing things and you've got some, I think you've got some redemptions from hedge funds, etc. cetera, uh, that you have to be a little careful drawing conclusions from the market action through the end of the quarter here with rebalancing and everything 